You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. I call upon my ancestors to judge me and my clan. We, we, we don't have federal governments in the UK. Not yet. Not until America takes over. Nah, it'll be Russia. Sorry. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, the oligarchical uh, European Union of Br- Great Britain and the small little adjacent state of America. Yeah, pretty, what yeah. a great way to introduce the show recorded on <laughs> the worst day of history. Uh, aren't you meant to be celebrating uh, as an American? A on this... It's a, it's July Fourth. We blow shit up. It's it's a great day. We we roasted hot dogs and hey, and I'm in Philadelphia. I mean, we're the where our city claims the founding of the Fourth of July. So, like Philadelphia. Oh, I thought just... you claimed the finding of like cream cheese or something like that. We do, we do. Um, pretzels, those are also ours. Uh, the Philly cheesecake. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> pretzels. I don't know, man. Do not belong to the state of Philadelphia. Uh, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to bring your mitts over for that one, because uh, there's there's uh, plenty of people who will go to bat over that one. The Philly pretzel. Ex- the Philly pretzel is a thing. Uh, as a half German, <laughs> I find this incredibly offensive. I mean, Not I'm only part have you too. I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, no, my my family uh, denounced um, Wilhelm back before you know the Great War. So, oh, they they denounced Germany, right? Okay. No, they, they, technically they but... denounced the king. Okay, that's that's interesting. The Kaiser. So, but. Uh, yeah, the, the Kaiser. Kaiser. <laughs> I, I'm guessing you don't really. Nobody speaks. See, this is what I find by interesting about German. German's like one of quite is quite often spoken in America, and I find mm-hmm. that really weird. Yeah, do you speak any German? Um, I'm kind of uh, Deutsch. I'm Yeah, not not Aww. very good. Uh, my grandfather oh, was fluent. Cute. Yeah, my grandfather, who is the Xander side of the family, so go figure that one. Um, the Xander side of the family spoke German um, up until my mother's generation. 
Uh, my grandfather didn't pass right. German on to them. And I, the German that I know I've learned in high school and college, uh, I read it a lot better than I understand it spoken. Um, but I can read it. That's good. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I should really it's, introduce it's, you <laughs> to our, our listeners before we go into the archaeology of archie fantasies herself. <laughs> Be like, hi, I'm a um, random person so, yeah. who speaks bad German. <laughs> Yes, uh, well, you know that should be intro to every like podcast that I do. It's like, here, what languages do you speak? Interrogate people. Do you Tell speak me. German? <laughs> sprechen Sie Deutsch. Warum sprechen Sie kein Deutsch? Das ist eine richtige Frage. Das ist eine echte Frage. God, now you're okay. taking me back uh, to my yeah. classrooms. <laughs> also, sit still, kid. <laughs> Sonst lernst du nichts. Oh God! Um, hello and welcome to Modern Myth, or uh, like I don't even know what Modern Myth is in German. That's the extent of my German. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, it's a podcast that states that archaeology is modern myth making. That means we're the liars. Uh, they're the liars. Everyone's a liar. Uh, and one of the people who claims to be a debunker of the liars is sitting. Uh, on the uh, on the internet with me. I mean, Hi, I don't Sarah. claim. I was straight up called a troll the other day. I wear that badge proudly. Ah, uh, yeah, but that's only because you disagreed in a uncivil manner. Remember, Sarah, if oh, you're civil, totally everybody civil. will listen to you. That was completely civil. I just didn't agree. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> I bet, I bet they thought you went a bit <clears throat> hysterical. Ooh. <laughs> No, I kind of. Anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I use that word uh, especially for effect. There, um, <laughs> would you mind uh, t letting people know what the what kind of stuff uh, that you do on the internet that kind of gives people the impression that they need to fight you? <laughs> uh, I call people out. Uh, so my, I, I'm Sarah Head. I am the. Uh, one of the, the three hosts for the Archie Fantasies podcast. I'm, I guess, the main host. Um, I also write the Archie Fantasies blog and run the Twitter account and all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm basically Archie Fantasies. Um, and what I do with that is I, I go after the incorrect or bad or misleading use of archaeology and I try to kind of correct the record. And what that looks like many times is um, I go after claims of ancient aliens and Phoenicians and, and that kind of stuff. And I, I will admit most of my experience is restricted to uh, North America and a little bit of South America, just because that's, that's where I'm trained. I'm a trained archeologist. Um, I do uh, contract archeology, span CRM archeology span here in the States. And I've been doing that for God, longer than I want to think about. And I will have a master's degree uh, at the beginning of next year, so I, I have all of the fancy BS letters after my name to make me an authority in my chosen field, so... But of course, it's the actual secret payments that you get from the uh, <clears throat> secret from elite that really uh, are the ones that uh, mean that you are an authority, isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, big archaeology is um, doing stuff. I don't know. I get accused I mean, of that all, more frequently than you think. We're all we're all rolling in the money, aren't we? <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> it, 
My favorite threat ever that I got from somebody was they didn't like how I had written a review of actually Unearthed America was one of the first seasons and um, they didn't like my review and so they threatened to sue me until I lived out of my car and I said clearly you do not understand what I do for a living because I am currently living out of my car. (laughs) I'm I'm not that threatened by that. See, that, that's what I find very, very interesting is that um, a lot of the times when you're debunking and integ- debunking and disseminating information, it's almost like there's two levels to the narrative. The narrative is both that history is not as they tell you, and anybody who talks about it is not what you think. And I, I find... I find that archaeologists sometimes do tend to be not secretive, but like not willing to always say anything controversial. You know what I mean? There's this kind of not typed lipness, but this kind of reservation of saying things. And I think that means that it leaves it open uh, for people to interpret that in different ways. What what was the first time a time that you did this kind of outreach where you talked about debunking like ancient aliens and stuff what was the what kind of what was the first thing you did so i've been doing this now for 10 years and the reason i got started in this is i i am an atheist and we my partner and i belonged to a um center for inquiry it's a it's an atheist organization atheist freethinker skeptic organization and we were very involved with them you know and my partner has a youtube channel that they've run forever where they just discuss just skeptical things they they came out of a very strict religious background and so they discussed all these things about basically coming out of religion and one day we were talking about just the things that they were taught when they were a kid because they were also homeschooled so it's like the double whammy and they, I, I came across this idea that um, there was an ice bubble around the planet and that when the Tower of Babel was struck down by God, part of the, he used a giant comet to do it and the, the heat of the comet melted the protective ice shield around the planet and that is what caused the great global flood and what 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 what? yeah so i i mean i'm having the same reaction you did i'm just like that where how and yes i have so many questions and there are no answers like you probably have the exact same questions i did and there's really you just go miracle of faith and like that answers the question but so I, i really got into this and i'm like surely to not surely not people don't really believe this and so, you know, you get on the internet, you start scourging the internet, and I'm like, no, really, people believe this. And not only do people believe it, they try to use archaeology to prove it. So when I very, very first got started with this, I, I started with a YouTube channel, and I, I made videos addressing these mostly religious claims, creationist-style religious claims, using archaeology to support the idea that the planet's only 6,000 years old, and that... Um, you know, the events of the Bible are literal truth and there's archaeology to support that because, I mean, I'm not slamming religion or anything. If you want to believe stuff, believe stuff, whatever. 
Um, but do know that the archaeology does not support the Bible. There are some correlations between biblical you know, things that are mentioned in the Bible, and we can find archaeology remains that seem to correlate, but they're not usually what you would expect. Um, and there's certainly no evidence of a global flood. There's no evidence of a great cataclysm that knocked out all of civilization and then it just regrew from the grass. I don't know. But there are groups that will argue with that. And so, so that's how I very first got started with it. I, I was making these, these different videos um, and I just was kind of goofing around. I, have, I had one that was all claymation. I mean, that's how goofy it was with stop motion claymation. Um, oh, that's cute. That it was. I'm actually really proud of that. <laughs> Stupid little <laughs> video about aliens. Uh, yeah, and that's uh -huh. about the time that Ancient Aliens really started taking off, because it's been on the air for 15, 16 years. 16 and... years too long. Right, Can yeah. Can we well, clear? Here in America, yeah. We don't get cool shows here in America. Um, uh, no, no. We, we, can I can I just say that like the UK has terrible shows as well, but they're mostly basically saying, "Hey, British Empire wasn't so bad. They got well, them trains, didn't they? <laughs> oh, we civilized people." And you're like, um, I kind of prefer the aliens to these like racist dog whistles that kind of imply that like." no country in the world had like any form of like social organizing before the brits arrived so well as yeah. as an american who apparently thoroughly trounced your asses in a war that i don't even think most of the country was aware they were fighting at the time um thank you for the trains um apparently we do it better oh even though we don't <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> I, I never meant for this podcast to be like Fourth of the July themed as well, because this is turning. War, this you should is turning not have more planned more it for into... the Fourth of July. <laughs> I didn't plan it. I forgot it was even a thing. This God is my point. <laughs> so what you're telling me is you don't have American flags all over the place, and you're not like wearing American flag themed clothes. Me personally, or like the city in general? No, is is that not is that not what like all Americans wear like American flags on the Fourth of July? Uh, well, right? okay, so here here's some more like fun. Wrap your head around this shit. Um, my family's military family, um, army military for the most part, and there is a very strict flag code here in the United States that does tell us what we are and are not supposed to do with images and actual flags. And one of the things you are not supposed to do is wear the flag as clothing. Um, so no, my family does not do that because we're actually informed. Uh, the rest of America, <laughs> I will not go that far. Well, I mean, come on. Stereotypes about America exist for a reason. Yeah, they're not really stereotypes. <laughs> no, no. But Stereotypes would imply that... that they're unfair characterizations. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's quite interesting, though, is that you kind of have to deal with this lack of knowledge in a lot of the things that you deal with. So what what do you think your main aim is when you're trying to make this content that debunks things like ancient aliens and other adjacent kind of ideas? What are you trying to get across to people? Because it's not just telling people the facts, because people don't really care about the facts, really it seems. Don't. 
They really don't. So what, 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 what is more along the lines of what are you trying to do? Well, I mean, when I started the, the whole Archie Fantasies thing, I was not versed in pseudo-archaeology as well as I am today. And what I mean by that is people would come to me and they'd be like, aliens built the pyramids. I mean, because that's like the most common one. And of course you're like, that's stupid. And then your knee-jerk reaction is to just make a video about how stupid that idea is. And that is not helpful. And it's also not even getting close to addressing the actual problem of that statement. As I have gone through the years of doing this, I have changed my focus away so much from trying to point out the inaccuracies of an individual claim. And what I'm trying to do now is to kind of understand why people want to believe in any kind of pseudo-archaeology, be it, you know, aliens from another planet or different versions of American history or, you know, the the, the current thing right now is the, the lost civilization, you know, the great father race that bequeathed culture and society upon everyone. Um, well, everyone who wasn't already white. And I mean, it, it does actually, like right now I'm having a lot of conversations about effectively race and the inherent racism of these kinds of claims. And the other thing I have to keep in mind when I'm having these conversations is that these people aren't racists and they don't see the racism in their statements, but that doesn't stop the claims and the, the statements from being racist. And so right now in this very moment, I'm trying to figure out how I can kind of effectively point out why certain claims are racist to people who don't understand that and but without having these people feel like I'm calling them racists because when you start attacking people's ideas and beliefs you, they take it very personally and it then becomes a personal attack and my goal is not to personally attack anyone unless they you know come at me first but the doesn't doesn't change the fact that there are serious, serious issues. And the pseudo-archaeology and the racism that pseudo-archaeology, you know, builds on and, and creates is affecting at least my country right now at the governmental level. I mean, we have government officials that believe that the pyramids are grain silos. Um, we had a guy who was working for our government that believed in lizard people, um, that believed the politicians and, and the British royalty were all lizard, shape-shifting lizard people, like truly, honestly believes that. You know, I mean, our president was taking conversations with people that believe that there was a lost race that came to America that were part of like the tribes of Israel, the lost tribes of Israel, and that they were either overwhelmed by or wiped out by the people who became Native Americans. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pseudo-archaeology that is affecting, it's not just funny TV, it's, it's literally affecting the daily lives of at least Americans. Um, I'm not sure how these things translate in other countries because I don't have that firsthand experience. What I find really interesting is when you were kind of saying about this, like aspects of racism that I remember hearing uh, like a conversation 
uh, between two people with somebody who ostensibly is like a right-wing kind of YouTube personality. And basically, the person talking to them was basically asking them, okay, so at what what level, what standard is there for somebody to be considered racist? And this right-wing personality was basically like, well, I, I don't think there's ever a situation in where you could say that somebody actually is racist. Like, the, the, the bar was so high that literally no one was a racist. You cannot be a racist because, uh, you know, like anything that was perceived as racism is just a personal preference. And I think the, the issue here is that people don't see, people see racism is almost so weaponized that it becomes this impossible standard. It's almost like you have to prove that somebody was worse than Hitler. <laughs> and even that in itself is And a, now you've you lost know, the argument. Yes. No, but you, you, that's in itself is a, like, there's more nuance to that. Um, you know, like, uh, why, why why do we not think Google, Goebbels was, like, worse? Because he actually contributed to some of the, like, planning and the ideas behind gas chambers. Or why do we not think Himmler was more awful? You know, like, why is it all on Hitler? But what I mean is, like, people have to be this spooky kind of like otherworldly form of evil to even be considered racist whereas you could easily point to institutions and structures as racist and people are like well what do you mean that's just the way it is i mean like i've got a big problem with meritocracy uh meritocracy is just uh, it's absolute lies uh, but people are so bought into that idea of meritocracy as the default as the almost scientific default of humanity well meritocracy if you're good at something you'll get uh, far i know no i know so many people who are amazing but they've not been able to get anywhere and i know so many people who are definitely not amazing who've got into very very high positions of power and wealth so this idea that people have almost like there, there, there are these default ways of thinking and there's no no such thing as perspective there's no such thing as context that's that's the real issue isn't it how do we tell people perspective and context matters you know it's it's so infuriating but that's the problem of all archaeology not just pseudo-archaeology you know well, i i think uh, that's where archaeology kind of falls a little flat because you know i'm as I mentioned, I'm in grad school, and since nobody else has done it, I'm doing a... My thesis is on pseudo-archaeology, and it, it's on the effects of pseudo-archaeology on archaeology. And one of the, the major issues that I keep coming up against as I'm doing this research is if you track modern pseudo-archaeology back to where we can say, ah, this is recognizably modern pseudo-archaeology, not the Victorian era, even though a lot of our pseudo-archaeology ideas and themes come out of the Victorian era. But when you start seeing these alien abductions and alien Atlantis and crop circles and just all of these other ideas that we are like, ha ha poo-poo, poo-poo. The problem that was occurring at that time was actually with archaeology, professional archaeology, because 
At that point in time, archaeology had pulled in on itself as a profession, and they had become basically secretive, and they had become very self-focused because they were developing theory and they were having arguments within the professional realm there, but they were doing it all behind closed doors and they weren't being open with the public about it. And because of that, what effectively happened was archaeology removed itself from the public playing field and created a void. And in the absence of that void, as the great and holy Carl Sagan has explained to us, um, when the professionals stepped back, the charlatans just rushed right in. I mean, nature abhors a, a vacuum, so it's going to fill that. And that's what got that's what got put out there as archaeology is all these, you know, in search of and secrets of and you know, then the ancient aliens started and all that good bullshit. And you you mentioned this earlier in the podcast. There are a lot of archaeologists who are hesitant to interact with the fringe and with pseudo-archaeology because various reasons a lot of them revolve around oh it's harmless fun um i don't or they, they i don't want to have my professional you know image besmirched with this um i hear a lot of people tell me oh that's just dumb i don't have time and but what's happening is and what's happened with those kind of ideas is that since we don't counter it and we don't interact with it and we don't put an alternative out there or, you know, the proper answers out there. The public has latched on to, you know, um, psychic archaeology and, and dowsing as a form of, you know, poor men's GPR and aliens, of course, and Oak Island is real and, you know, just all kinds of wacky things that don't make sense when you really sit down and think about them but since the public themselves have never been shown how to critically think their way through these questions and they've never been presented with the real factual archaeology that exists they don't have the tools they need to recognize and think their way out of fringe and pseudo-archaeology and that's on us Definitely. I think this is the thing is that, but it's not, it's not like, it's difficult because it can also sound really condescending to archaeologists who do really good archaeology outreach to like say, well, you just haven't done enough work because that's not the point here. And at that's all. totally because, fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's instead, it's common, kind of like, you know what I, I would personally like to do, because I, I remember suggesting this one time, like to somebody who was doing, like producing like TV, I was like, you'll be really good if you had like a segment on the archaeology of archaeology, or like the phenomenology of archaeology, how people experience the production of the past through mm -hmm. like you know, being in the field, you know, talking about the sights and the sounds of actually, you know, getting your hands dirty and not, not even mention the artifacts and stuff. Um, and just kind of do it like, and they were like, oh no, nobody, no, nobody could understand. Nobody will understand why you're doing that. It almost feels like in these shows, the actual methodology and the archeology span itself is like inconsequential. Um, to the actual stuff whereas in reality the archaeology is all part of it you know the archaeology is actually quite fundamental to the research you know if you don't do the archaeology well um, you can't really uh, you can't really have good uh, results mm -hmm. 
So I think uh, I think this is the this is the the thing that we could actually gain more interest in is when we kind of open up the physical access to archaeology. You know, this is why I think uh, things like. Um, like open digs are really good. Uh, I was actually recently on an open dig. Uh, it was a project over in Glasgow, and uh, it was open to everybody. Uh, is it, is had... this the one that got beat up on on uh, Twitter the other day? No, 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 no. This is um, I don't know actually. Which one was that? Uh there was a tweet that went out, and it. Oh, maybe they were in Maryland. Oh, no, no, no. This is a different one. No, no. no. The person I, who responded was from Maryland. Uh, no, I can, I, I'll come back to that one. But um, no, no, this was a different one. And actually, it was really good because, I mean, uh, I, when I got there, there was actually a lot of archaeologists from around Scotland there, you know? And even though they had not signed up to the dig, they actually just come of their own volition. Mm -hmm. They were like de facto supervisors in mm -hmm. a way, you know, because they were they were like even I, with my very limited excavation skills, was like, you know, like I could tell people like, okay, I need you to kind of do these skills and this is the kind of thing you're looking for, etc. etc. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how to cut turf. Um <laughs> That's one skill that my it is a one skill. of my former bosses one of my former bosses literally said to the next person like who was giving me a job like I mean he, he's inexperienced but boy can he cut turf jeez I, you know, <laughs> I was like yeah <laughs> that's actually the the Twitter picture that went around uh, we talked about it on our, our gaming podcast vlog thing it. Uh, we were all incredibly impressed with how well that sod was cut and laid out. I thought that they were sheets of plastic until we zoomed in on the picture and I was like, oh my god, those are individual squares of sod. That's just stunning um, compared to the crap I do when I'm out digging. So, you know. <laughs> no, you are an excellent archaeologist. Don't, don't, don't let the, the facade <laughs> drop. Sorry, we got to keep up appearances I'm you don't a damn understand good archaeologist, thank you very much um but what <laughs> i do just, just not neat <laughs> i'm not paid to be neat i'm paid to dig and that's what i do mm. um there's the difference between crm and unfortunately academic level archaeology <laughs> <laughs> i don't have but a month see, to is... spend on one unit <laughs> yeah and this is this is you know this is a wider problem with the archaeology industry mm -hmm. is that a lot of the time it really nestles people into certain spaces you know we have people who are legitimately excellent and everything and I, I don't know what it's like too much in the america i like i know a little bit here and there but in in uh, in the in the uk there's issues of uh, for example drop off you know, after two years, there's an incredible cliff of people who are in the industry and fed up with the mm, conditions yeah. and the pay yeah. and the situation. And they say, look, I can get a better wage, a secu more secure situation and less stress somewhere else, you know, mm -hmm. and I'll do that. Like, I know a lot of archaeologists who uh, who like have transferred into like IT and a number of other things. And the industry has now said, oh, we've got all these, uh, we, we're short of archaeologists. But at the same time, the archaeologists who are already there are not getting paid very well or have no good conditions. And so it's like, 
well, if you paid, you know, like if if it was actually market situation, you know, capitalism, then you would expect if there was a, a large demand and a low supply, that the individual workers, um, like uh, wages would go up. You know, that's supply and demand. That's pure capitalism. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be working like that. People are not, despite the high demand, there doesn't seem to be. Uh, the people are wage going wages going up or anything like that. So well, I, I think the industry needs to take a hard look at itself and yeah. what it's actually providing. Yeah, I mean we have very similar issues uh, over here as well. It's but the problem with I think the problem here in America is we do have that drop off. We do have a very steep drop off, and people leave. And I mean I know people who go and start becoming truck drivers because they just make so much more money driving trucks than they do doing science. Um, we are the highest highest educated, lowest paid professional field uh, in the States is, is CRM archaeology. So for our level of education, we, we make pretty much what an entry level um, retail worker makes and we don't get benefits. Um, and I'm not I'm not attacking any of the companies I work for. I, I work for a very great company right now. I'm not going to mention who it is. Um, I, I adore yeah, them. Yeah, they no, they send me out on fantastic digs. But the, the reality of the situation is I'm worth more than they pay me. And, yeah, I, but that's and they know that. That's the factor of the industry. That's the exactly. factor of the industry. They know, they know that I'm worth more than they're paying me. They know that, that all of the people they're hiring are worth more than they're paying them. And it's not, it's not them being dicks. It's because it's contract archaeology and the nature of the beast like they have to keep their overhead as low as possible in order to land jobs here in order to get the contracts they need to hire me so i can even get paid what they're going to pay me um so it's it's a very vicious cycle i don't i mean i i think capitalism is to blame in general because i i'm not a capitalist and even though I participate in it because I live here and there's like, what else yeah, am I yeah. going to no, do? No, we don't, don't, don't worry. In this, this is a safe space for anti-capitalism. <laughs> Trust it's, it's, me. I, I'm just like, I can say I'm anti-capitalist all I want, but the reality of it is, is I'm going to go buy a Starbucks. So, <laughs> you know. I, I don't think that really counts, you know, like uh, to be anti-capitalist is just basically to de decouple like people's worth from like economic value to say people's value is beyond what they can be paid. Hey, have a Starbucks. Go ahead. Enjoy. But, I mean, the people like, at Starbucks roughly make what I make an hour. So I'm kind of supporting my fellow workers. I don't know. Solidarity, yes. <laughs> but the problem is that's not reciprocated. Hey, you're an archaeologist. You got a great job. You get to be Indiana Jones. You get to dig up treasure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's so annoying, isn't it? Well, but it's, <laughs> and I don't it, even deal with it. Like, <laughs> no. See, actually, like, it's not annoying to me anymore. Like, I, I used to think it was, especially when I was younger and I was just getting started in the field, and people would walk up to me while I'm having lunch and start asking me questions. The reality of the situation is, though, especially as a CRM archaeologist, I am probably the only archaeologist most people are ever going to encounter because I'm constantly interacting with Joe Public. Um, I am in the small towns. I am digging alongside their roads. I am shopping in their shopping marts and I'm going to their gas stations on my breaks, muddy and in my safety clothes. And, and you know, most people are initially think we're some kind of construction worker because we have to wear so much ridiculous safety clothes for no apparent reason. Um, 
mainly so that we stand out, I think. I don't even think it's a safety thing anymore. It's just a uniform at this point. But the reality of it is, is people, you know, oh, what are you guys building? Oh, we're not building anything. We're archaeologists. We're doing a survey. Oh, really? Did you find any gold? Well, no. Um, at least I don't get dinosaur bones so much anymore. But Good, good. Of course, it's around here thing, I get they can be taught. <laughs> yeah, around here I get asked if I found Hoffa, but I have not found Hoffa yet. So, what's that? Hoffa is a real famous um, gangster or uh, mobster leader who went missing uh, like decades, de decades ago. They never found Hoffa's buddy, and so that's kind of a joke around here. Whenever you're digging, people are like, "Oh, did you find Hoffa?" It's like finding uh, Henry VIII. <laughs> he's, he's probably also under a, a parking lot somewhere um uh we call them car parks excuse me this is a uk-based podcast we spell <laughs> color with a u okay and we don't recognize the fourth of july okay this, this is clear because this is my holiday also it's my anniversary so oh lovely <laughs> do you feel bad yet uh, well, hey, I didn't know that before I asked you, so <laughs> it's your choice, okay? You are free to come on the podcast, see? See? That's the kind choose. of freedom I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the problem with capitalism, isn't it? <laughs> are we free to choose, though, in capitalism? Are we? Anyway, this is no, completely no, off topic. <laughs> I know, and I absolutely love it. I love it. Um, but what I, what I really, really love, segue, segue. There we go. Is that is that you know um, it's it's really nice speaking to somebody who also creates their own content because you understand like how this stuff goes. You understand like you're not nervous in front of a bike, are you? Well, I not don't think anymore. anymore. <laughs> um, but you put me in front of a camera is another story. You actually mentioned your um, Arcu RPG group thing uh, yes. just a little bit previously. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, it's, I, I don't want to talk about it, like, as if I am more important to it than just somebody who shows up on it. Uh, this is actually Bill Ochter's brainchild, and, and Bill is trying to create the, the brand of the RPG, building off of the very niche archaeology subsection called Archaeogaming. Um, Actually, it's legitimate and it's awesome. And hey, Andrew Reinhardt, I know you're listening and right, exactly. you're awesome. Okay. <laughs> well, and you brought up Sean Graham and I know that he's also kind of like one oh, of the... yes. And then there's Sarah oh, and, Copplestone. And Copplestone? Uh, oh, yes. And Ginger Gamer, Megan. Oh, for God's sake. Dennis. 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 Yes, I got it. I, feel, I don't feel <laughs> as bad now. <laughs> no, I a mean, good shout out to yeah. I think this should be also a good shout out for all the people at University of York, like uh, Colleen Morgan and others who like are doing like really cool like archaeology of the physical remains of like electronics and stuff as well. Oh yeah, really and I cool. mean we've got some amazing people here in America that are really starting to take off too, like Digital Hammurabi and um, oh crap, I'm totally going to space on her name, but I'm going to give you her. Twitter stuff. Um, she's actually a historian by profession, but she is archaeologically trained, and she plays... Um, I interviewed her, and I just never got the podcast up. Which is a whole other story. Um, anyway, we've got people here in the States who are doing the archaeogaming stuff as well. Uh, the University of York is just the first one to kind of legitimize it, which hopefully that'll trickle down over here eventually. Um, I don't think the US has quite embraced any form of digital archaeology 
as a legitimate form of archaeology, we have a real hard time recognizing some of the more modern focused archaeologies here. Um, as a historic archaeologist, I still have arguments with uh, my per my coworkers in the field over, you know, if a site is actually an archaeologically valid site simply because it's a, a settler or a homestead or a farm and not one flake. Um, so, I mean, that, that's still an argument we're having here, but we also don't have as much history as y'all have over there. So. Well, yeah, I, but I think the Archeo Gaming is interesting because it does represent a really new kind of like way of doing stuff. Like, uh, can I also mention that um, a guy who does the YouTube videos, uh, Archeo Soup, I don't know if you're familiar oh, with Oh God, I love him. Yeah, he did my intro music. Yeah. Yes, no, he did. He did. He does. Did, does, yes. Um, did. Yeah, no, he, yes. he's done a lot of recently, actually a lot, if you go and check out ArcuSoup on YouTube, he's done a lot of um, archaeology, like gaming related content. So he, it's really, really good. And there's yeah, he's another fabulous. one. There's somebody else who did it, and I'm forgetting her name. I think, oh, what's it? Oh, I, I will remember it because she recently did, did like Zelda Wind Waker stuff and it, oh, or shit. Breath of the Wild stuff, and it was so good. Florence Smith Nichols, that's who there it is, go. and she's absolutely awesome. And you should really go and check it out. I'll put that in the show notes. But there's some really like, I just think Archeo Gaming is one of those spaces that is, it's so cool. But it's also a great way to get people hooked on archaeology. Yeah, know? and I mean, Bill has started doing um, the archaeology of Fallout 3. So he's he's going through the game, playing it as an archaeologist, and, and looking at the archaeological remains of the, of the third Fallout game. And so you can watch him play that as well. But the Archeo RPG is building off of Archeo Gaming, which tends to be more focused on digital spaces and um, video games in the experiences of those those things but gaming in general let's see i am a second generation gamer my parents were gamers i go to gen con every year i can afford to go um so it's it's like i i'm a gamer period end of discussion and gaming can encompass all forms of role play not just video games but when you say archeo gaming you're usually talking about the digital space Archeo RPG, I think, is a little bit more focused. Well, I know it, the Archeo RPG itself is focused on what we would call tabletop RPG, um, pen and paper. We use, <laughs> which is ironic because we actually use the Roll20 website to uh, create our digital maps for our game. And we use the D&D website to store our character sheets. And we use Discord um, for dice rolls and that kind of stuff and just communication. So even though we're still ostensibly playing pen and paper D, &D or, or role-playing games we are still using digital space to facilitate the game itself yeah it's kind um, of like pen and processor right yeah pretty much see, yeah see what i did see what i did there that, uh, I was, it was actually i gotta give this to bill I, when it comes out because like he's done a lot of work and one of the things that we as a group because we do have a, a, a small group and bill really wants to interact with role-playing games as archaeological as archaeological um you know spaces and things like that uh, artifacts not just looking at the like the written books and the character sheets and that kind of stuff but also looking at 
how we as, as archaeologists can interact with these make-believe spaces. And one of the things that we've really been talking about lately um, is because we focused on D&D for the most part. And we are really, I mean, D&D is a really problematic game. And it's also the grandfather of like all the other game systems out there. Mm-hmm. And so we have to examine D&D as this predecessor, but we also have to address the fact that D&D is built on a colonial racist uh, appropriation frame. I mean, it is. uh, Sarah, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to block you. Um, (laughs) The the word police are coming in because you use the R word uh, and it wasn't appropriate. You didn't meet the standard of worse than Hitler here. How can you say that RQ RPGs are racist. How can an RPG be racist? I can completely understand why it's colonial. Yes, it is. That's a voice uh, for radio. Um, Well, of course, that's how I got a podcast in the first place. But let's... (laughs) Do you know what... uh, let's examine this in a really decontextualized <laughs> way so it doesn't even mean anything anymore. Uh, I mean, so you're using Mr. Too big Mr. Words now. <laughs> no, there, there are certain people I know online who would have a field day with this about debunking the way in which the left is just applying racism <laughs> to everything. And uh, I, I, that was my attempt at an impression of quite a famous podcaster who talks a lot of shit. Uh, and I, ho- I hope somebody picks up on that one. I don't know if you recognize it as a skeptic, but I'll, I'll leave it there. So why is why is you go ahead, why is RPGs why are RPGs racist? I don't get it. Well, I, I do, mean, but. okay, <laughs> right. If you well, RPGs are racist because they are literally based around race. Um, race in the real world is a social construct, and again, we've discussed this on our our weird podcast blog archaeorpg um thing that we do once a week and race is one of these weird things in the real world uh, that is both completely made up and real um so i can i can sit here and say the concept of race is completely socially constructed it doesn't mean anything and the only weight that race has in the real world is the weight that we as a society and a culture put on it and then i also have to say Race is a real thing, because if you are someone who belongs to one of these race groups that we have decided exist, your entire life is affected by that perceived race. So racism is completely made up and also incredibly real. That being said, when you go into D&D specifically, and because again, D&D kind of started everything. Like I cannot think of a game system that is not based at least a little bit off of the D&D system. D&D hardcore created races. You can be human, you can be an elf, you can be a dwarf, you can be... There are orcs, we, we were talking about the racism of orcs, and you know, you can be a goblin, you can be all kinds of weird shit. And each racial group, which are distinct as far as the game is concerned, keep in mind this is all make-believe, each of these groups gets racial bonuses and has skill sets that are inherent to the race. 
Isn't is... racial bonus just another word for privilege? <laughs> Can I go around saying to people, check your racial bonus, bro? Go I, and check I actually, that. No, I'm actually going to argue that's not the same thing just because of the way the game mechanic works. No, of course, of course. <laughs> I am trying to do uh, something no, I mean, called humor totally here, you know? Oh, uh, well, you should stop. Um... <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> right, I'm gonna Sorry. kick you, Jesus. Oh, this Aww. is this is not good. You're in my Aww. house. You have to That's tell true. me everything I do is great. <laughs> no, do I kidding. also have to so, tell you that your comb over is nice? I don't have a receding hairline. What are you saying about my hair? Oh my God! <laughs> No, my hair's fine. It's fine the way it is. <laughs> oh Lord, God I'm sorry. Damn I, didn't, it. I didn't actually hit a button. <laughs> There's no button. Um, There's no button. I got a problem with my hair. Sorry. What were we talking but, uh, about? I think we we're talking about this uh, the distinction of all these racial like these these are very distinct things. Although I do remember right. in D D you could be a half orc barbarian rogue. And I remember that being quite a good class. Uh, uh, no, oh, uh, yeah, or is no, it I mean, not such a good class? The, the game, yeah. I mean, no. If you're if you're just sitting down and you're thinking about, okay, I want to play. If you're if you're trying to min max and you're like, I want to play the best barbarian that I can. I'm gonna go for like orc race or or dwarf or even human because I'm gonna get my strength bonuses and my stamina bonuses. And then I'm going to play Barbarian, which gives me, you know, weapons bonuses and stuff like that, because my class is not my race, and I get bonuses for my class, which can be applied. Now, see, actually, interestingly, when D&D first came out, certain races could not be certain classes. And that has gone away uh, as the, the story, the game has developed. So pretty much, I, I don't think there are any uh, class restrictions as far as race is concerned anymore. And, and you can even multi class now so i mean so much geekery here i am i am apologizing for but um, can you get uh, can you gain class conscious consciousness that's the question sarah <laughs> class consciousness so when i say class in the D system i'm talking about <laughs> your job there are social and class structures well and yes, i am talking about job too <laughs> and with the new I'm talking feet about system <laughs> You can actually reflect your social status uh, within your race group um, through feats now. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to watch the game evolve mm, over the yeah. years because it's it's self-aware. It's a self-aware game. It is a, cha it is a changing game. Each edition comes out with new stuff. And, and again, the game isn't itself racist. It's not out there you know, championing racism. It's just the basis of the game and the, the, the base concept of the game is colonial and racist. And it's unfortunate. But then we... So what do I do? Do I just burn the whole fucking thing down and be like, ah, fuck it, I'm out! I know lots of people who are not white who enjoy roleplay as much as I do. One of the best parts of going to Gen Con is being in a building with like 55,000 other people and our only goal in life is to go roll dice and play games. Like nobody hates anybody. Everybody's wearing something weird. We all have our geek shirts and we're all discussing dice. I mean, this is, it's like Mecca. It, it's, it's an amazing experience. If you've never gone to Gen Con or another larger game convention, you really need to go. It's an amazing space. Um, 
and, it, and it's a multicultural space. There are people who are not white, who are not Christian, who aren't even straight. You know, there are non-binary people, there are gay people, there's any kind of person you can think of you're going to find at a gaming convention because gaming itself is inclusive. You can make your, you, you make up a character, that character can be anything. You can make believe your character to be any damn thing you want, and then you play it through a scenario. That is the, the gist of role play. It's when you start getting into the systems, the gaming systems themselves, like D&D is a gaming system, and you start playing by D&D rules, and now you start encountering, you know, race restrictions, class restrictions, um, the, the concept of good and evil in D&D. Uh, back when orcs were very first introduced into the game, they were not player characters. You could not play them um, as a player. You They were only non-player characters because they were meant to be the villains of the story. And so there's the idea that orcs are inherently evil. You know, you, you can't be an orc and not be bad. And that has changed again over the years. You can now play half orcs. You can, you can play a full-blooded orc if you want. It's... It's the way the game has evolved based not only on social consciousness, but also on just player demand. People want to play orcs. Cool. Mm -hmm. People don't go into the... I mean, with the exception of one person I can think of because they wrote an article about it, most people don't go into playing non-human races thinking, ha I'm being racist, you know? Mm -hmm. or, or I'm yeah. sticking it to the man by playing this non-white race, which is effectively what human the human race is in D&D. If, you, if you're a wasp you are human <laughs> no i know you mean white anglo-saxon protestant but yeah exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> so in in your in this arc rpg are the classes like uh what's it called shirt detector um uh, what's it called <laughs> dry siver um lithics expert you know um what we originally set out to do with the arc rpg group was we were going to we tossed around the idea of either interacting with D&D as archaeologists um, and, and experiencing the game, knowing what we know now, or building a game of our own and trying, trying desperately to not have colonial racist issues. And uh, Bill is still very strongly working on trying to build a game that... I don't think we're trying to not be racist and colonialist anymore. I think we're trying to build a game that is self-aware of those issues because in all honesty, I'm not positive you can have a game that isn't like that. I don't I don't know if you can take those elements out of a game. But what you can take out is the appropriation and you can take out the non-self-awareness of the game. And I think you can use gaming as a fantastic tool to teach these kind of awarenesses to people and and so we last uh last time we were on the air we decided that we're going to play this um specific uh, uh adventure that's already been written up for D, D, and it actually has the archaeologist class in the book and there's a cartographer class in the book but i know that um bill and tom have both sat down and homebrewed up an archaeologist class so I don't know what we're going to end up doing. Um, we, we're going to be tooling our characters up to level five, which also allows us to multi-class. So I might do an archaeologist cartographer. <laughs> but, That's, yeah. 
a sunscape. I mean, it, but then where the goal is to interact with the game, you know, kind of like what we did, what Andrew Reinhardt did with uh, the No Man's Sky game, interacting with the game as an archaeologist. Um, I remember we had ethics discussions before the, the survey began and, and we decided what were good ethics as far as like naming. Because in uh, No Man's Sky, you're allowed to name the things you quote unquote discover, but the things already have names, which implies that there's some kind of native system. You know, something has already named these things. It's not just unidentified animal. They have names. The planets have names. So what are we going to do as archaeologists? Are we going to go in and rename it whatever we want? Or should we maintain the native name of the thing? And I mean, we had some serious, legitimate serious discussions about how we were going to do the archaeology in No Man's Sky. And they're the same conversations we're having in the Archeo RPG about, you know, how best can you interact with a make-believe world? Um, and, and that is inherently racist and inherently colonialist. And how do you interact with that and be aware of it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, I actually, I once tried to write a, a, an RPG once. It was post-apocalyptic, so not really the same. <laughs> and I tried to make, a, a, on the back of a sheet of paper, a combat system uh, with skills. Um, you can't do that, <laughs> by the way. So it was uh, very largely difficult. like kind of like, but it was very narrative driven. It was basically I sat and said, right, ask me what happens next in this world. I, I thought it was very <laughs> good, okay? Uh, but no, I, I think the RPG stuff is really awesome. It's really interesting. And uh, you said you're doing that now, you're kind of doing weekly or? Yeah, we're trying, I think we're doing every other week. Um, this week was weird because, you know, here in America, we celebrate this thing called the fourth. So we didn't want to be recording on the, you know, the America's birthday. I mean, yeah, terrible to record a podcast on the fourth. <laughs> that would be rude. Jeez. <laughs> I'm going to release this really quite far from the fourth, so this is not going to be as funny, you know, once people uh, are listening to it. It'll be even more hilarious, actually. Um, <laughs> it'll be my little sin after the fact. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're recording every other week on Thursday evenings right now. And um, I know that we, like I said, we decided we were going to do this particular campaign, so now we're all trying to adjust our characters. And I don't know if we're going to, like, start the game next Thursday or if we're still going to be kind of discussing it but Bill's uh, vision for how this is going to go is like the the vlog cast is going to be part archaeologists talking about archaeology and, and life and part us playing a role-playing game <laughs> which is a typical role-playing game really <laughs> No, it is. It absolutely is. You've described it. And it's such a big thing on Twitch as well. To Like, Critical Role is one of the big podcasts yeah. out there. And so there is, like, there, there's, a, there's a market for it. So There is a market good. for it. I, I will admit I don't watch any of them or listen to any of the podcasts that are out there. Um, yeah, it's just... because you, you want to isolate yourself so that you're just not like them, remember? You know, it's... Uh, sure. You have to do your own thing. <laughs> Sure. Well, you know what? That makes me sound noble. I'll go with yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I've got like I've got actually like a last little bit for you to react to live. Okay. Well, it's not oh, like it's all edited, but uh, it's actually a little bit of pseudo archaeology that I've just come across. Uh, oh. So if I said if I said the word Glastonbury to you, do you understand what that means? Do you I, know, I know what Glastonbury place. is? I know it's a so place. Glastonbury Glastonbury Music Festival is like one of the biggest music festivals. I, in I the know UK. that. Yes. So Miley Cyrus was uh, recently uh, performing at Glastonbury, right? I'm sorry. So, 
<laughs> so that just tells me what kind of taste y'all have in music. So she <laughs> she then said she wanted to go and visit Stonehenge, right? Uh huh. Where she she uh, she was she had a spiritual experience, right? As you do. She she said, "quote Stonehenge was a spiritual experience." Thank you. She added, "I hope the aliens believe in me." Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you know what? I, do you know what I think is really good is that like a lot of the time when we talk about ancient aliens, uh, it's usually in non like European contexts where it's like, oh, I don't think these ancient people had the guts to do it. Right. So I quite yeah. like yeah, yeah. that it's like. Oh, hey, no, the white people are not good enough to do their own history. <laughs> aliens did it as well. So, <laughs> I mean, I that's both. Aliens believe in me. That's just beautiful. I okay, mean, but here's the problem. Nice. Yeah. I, I can't speak to the spiritual aspect of it at all because of course. spiritualism is, you know, a personal thing, whatever. You want to believe the rock is talking to you. I can't tell you it's not. What I can tell you is there's plenty of evidence to suggest that aliens are not involved with Stonehenge. I I, well, I can I can be very definitive <laughs> about that. Um, just because I know how archaeology works, which I understand is kind of a cop-out, but I, I am also aware of the archaeological excavations that have occurred in the area and, and just the overall study that has occurred at Stonehenge from its rediscovery to modern era. And I, I just, there's nothing there that would suggest anything other than human intervention in the construction and maintaining and maintenance of Stonehenge. Cause I'm, I'm sure your listeners are all very aware that Stonehenge is not just that little circle of stones that we're all so familiar no, it's with. It's a wider it is, area around it's it as well. It's a very large area um, and has been in use by humans as some kind of space for eons. Um, Probably it's religious and religious or spiritual in nature because why else would you maintain a space that long? But that's also a, an archaeological cop out. Oh, it's ritual. Um, yeah, I mean you can have functional <laughs> rituals as well. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, oh god, we could talk another hour about that. <laughs> um, hey, do you think rituals provide functions? So can you actually like arguably define them as something different than actual like things that you do, like tool making? Is isn't archaeology itself a ritual for like we do dealing with the past? Oh God! How can we deal with this? That's for another time. Um, I was gonna so say I, everything human beings do is ritualistic. Do you get up in the morning and brush your teeth and go to the bathroom and then you eat food? I mean, that's that's your ritual. Everybody's got them. Sometimes I miss out on one or two of those things. So <laughs> I hope it's you not the decide. <laughs> it's a it's a choose your own adventure book. <laughs> oh, Jesus, oh dear. Right. Uh, anyway, I, I better wrap this up uh, before. Before we start talking about ritual uh where can people find uh the stuff that you do i i am very fortunate in that if you simply google archaeological fantasies or archie a-r-c-h-y fantasies you will find me because i am the only one right now um but my my main place that i like to go is my blog where the podcast is also linked to and i promise you there will be a podcast again i just have to get my head on straight um but that is archiefantasies.com so a-r-c-h-y fantasies.com can't miss it 
Um, I am on Twitter pretty regularly. I have an Instagram that I'm figuring out. <clears throat> Not really sure how to use Instagram as a tool right now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on I'm Facebook. Well. I tend to ignore it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Instagram, but I'm just not sure how I can use it. I mean, I, I love mm -hmm. it for like yeah. better than Facebook. I love sharing pictures and my cats are all over the damn yeah. place. Um, I'm just not sure how to use it for Archie Fantasies yet. We'll see. We'll see. That's something for uh, <laughs> listeners to look out for. You know, that's something in the future. I mean, it exists. You can go look at it and maybe give me some suggestions. But yeah, my main my main places are the blog and the podcast and um, the Twitter account. And if you will allow, I have a Patreon. If you think I'm yes, cool, of course. you can give yes. me a couple dollars on my Patreon account. I would appreciate it greatly. Dollar dollar <laughs> bill, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate to beg for money, but I'm going to beg for money. So yeah, yeah that's, no, that's how I pay for age. the website. I mean, it, it is. It's how I pay for the website. It's how I pay for, you know, my, my time that I have to take off to edit podcasts. Um, it's how I paid for the mic I'm using. I mean, I, I use the money that the Patreon provides to pay for the show and the blog. So it's not yeah. like it's just going out there so I can buy candy all day long. But you do buy candy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> and thank you very much for uh, coming and speaking with me. Well, thanks for letting me be on. I, this was a lot of fun. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.